leadership in cybersecurity isn't just about understanding threats. It's about leading a team to navigate them with confidence. At CPF Coaching LLC, we specialize in taking your leadership skills to the next level. With over 15 years in the cybersecurity field, we empower professionals and startups to reach unprecedented heights. Imagine having a personalized coaching experience tailored to your unique career ambitions. From strategic planning to masterful pitch and interview preparations, we're here to guide you through every challenge. Join us for our unique value proposition workshops or dive into our vibrant learning community for continuous skill advancement. Don't just be a part of the industry. Redefine it. Visit cpfcoaching.com for more information. Discover the leader within. Contact CPF Coaching LLC today and schedule your strategic session. Walks away. <laughs> hey, security peeps. <laughs> we are live with another edition of Breaking Into Cybersecurity. It is CISO Thursdays. We have a special guest, too. So all the peeps are here, plus one. Super excited. I'm Renee Small, cybersecurity super recruiter, helping awesome leaders hire great talent. Before I go around, and have everyone introduce themselves, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. So subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Um, and we will jump in because we have an awesome guest and we have a lot of good stuff to talk about today. So James Azar. Hello. Hello, everyone. Welcome to, it's great to see everyone today or, or be with everyone, right? It's awesome. It is. It is. <laughs> Happy to have you back, James. Naomi. I cannot follow. No, I cannot. He always makes me laugh. I cannot do this with a straight face, James. Uh, it's like, okay, how many bows are we getting today? Um, well, I can, you know, this, this is the Thai bow. I can okay. give you the Japanese yes. bow. Oh, God. Right? <laughs> It's the beauty of having a standing right. desk. I can do all kinds of bowing. How about curtsies? Let's do yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, Naomi Buckwalter, <laughs> here to help you break into cybersecurity. Love this community. Ay, ay, ay. The fun has already started. Chris Fulone. Everyone, uh, cybersecurity researcher and cyber coach and co host and I professor, and, and professor, uh, and the, the list is too long. I don't want to keep yeah. talking <laughs> so much. The long, long, elaborate bio. <laughs> and our special guest for today, Brian Markham. Hey, Woo! Brian. Hi, Renee. Thanks so much for having me today. It's great to uh, meet all of you and see you all on video. Excellent. So happy to be here. Have you here today? Um, so we are going to kick off our discussion today with cyber culture. So, James, do you want to kick it off for us? You know, so yeah, put me on the spot. No prep whatsoever. Cyber culture. So yeah, that's right. So yeah. Um, so so something very interesting is kind of the idea of um, the cybersecurity culture of of, of kind of, I don't want to say new blood versus um, old blood versus new blood, but something that we've spoken about plenty of times on the show and we still need to hammer at home because we still see gatekeeping going on. And the idea that security is too complex for some people that, you know, you got to be special to be a part of it. And and so that's where I'd like to uh, um, um, kick off today's conversation and really, um, you know, kick it off to Naomi and, 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 Brian here and have them kind of uh, take this to town. Well, I've mentioned this in the past. I don't think cybersecurity is difficult to learn. It, there's certainly difficult aspects of it, but in general, like anyone with like an average uh, background in education, a, a good working IQ, like you're able to pick some of these concepts up. I don't don't think it's that difficult. I think it's harder when you put it into practice, right? The balance of security need, the business needs with security. That's what makes the implementation of security difficult. But learning security concepts, principles, technology, no, that is not difficult. I don't think we're some sort of superhero or like super geniuses, um, you know, super hackers, right? I don't think we're any of that. I think the movies make us seem that way. And I think that's why a lot of people think we are, but it, I don't think that's true. And I, I want to know what Brian thinks. What do you think, Brian? Yeah. I mean, I think we're, I think we're similarly aligned there. I, um, I always say that I can teach anyone how to do security things, how to work in cybersecurity. Um, but I can't teach people to be curious. I can't teach people to love to learn. I can't teach people to do research on their own if they don't really care. So 
I mean, it's so interesting to me. People come to me and say, hey, how do I get into security? Do you have any tips? Do I have to get certifications? Should I go back to school and get a degree? I'm like, dude, I'm a public relations major. Like, you're probably overthinking it. It's it's really all about getting the opportunity. And then once you get the opportunity, taking advantage of it, there really is no, um, there's really no like special formula. And like you said, Naomi, like th you're not like some, there's not some part of my brain that's more developed than other people's. It's mm -hmm. just opportunities open, you know, became open for me. I took advantage of them and then I worked, you know, after I, after the door was open. So. Brian, I saw that you, I, I was, I just love the fact that you are a communications major. And I, I saw that before coming on the show, before you came on and have an MBA. How did you even get to the point of security? Like really quickly, tell the audience how you got up, you know, you have a communications degree. How did you get into security? Well, I mean, I think it started when I was really young, um, when I took my first programming class in ninth grade. And I would spend like maybe 20% of the time writing the actual code and then 80% of the time making sure no one could break it. And I didn't even know that security was a thing. I didn't know that hacking was a thing. But I realized later on that that kind of obsessive uh, commitment I had to making sure that my program worked the way that I wanted it to work. When I started then like working IT support and got my first help desk job, that mindset kind of didn't change. I wanted I wanted technology to be trustworthy because I worked with people that were that had bad things happen to them because security either wasn't good or um, they didn't have the right degree of integrity, um, you know, with respect to the systems they were using. So I just became very passionate about all of these all of these ideas that kind of underpin security. And a consulting gig opened up, and I was able to leverage my IT experience to get my foot in the door there. And all of a sudden, I became an information assurance professional. I guess that's what they called it back then. And I've just kind of, you know, never really stopped since then trying to learn and trying to get better. Even though I'm a CISO, I don't, um, I haven't stopped trying to learn technical things because I truly love, I love that game. And, uh, you know, so it's really never over. So yeah, I hope that answers your question. Um, I, I could tell you for, from having the pleasure of interviewing with Brian that he truly does take that to heart. Um, I've talked to some of Brian's colleagues and some that have worked for him, and he really does take that growth mindset to heart when it comes to the hiring, the interview process, and everything like that. So um, like Naomi has always talked about, like being that change, Brian's really at the forefront of that and has really um, implemented that in real life. Um, by the way, Brian, how's your OSCP going? I'll call you out on it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, comment here. Uh, Norva says, hi, James, Renee, Chris, Brian, and Naomi. Happy to see you all. Naomi, where are you going? Are we still going to see you together via CISO Thursdays? Uh, of course. Yeah. Of course. Going anywhere? Uh, did, did I die or something? Like, people are asking me, I'm like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Have you gotten a, a couple of these? <laughs> yeah. There's a hashtag for you, Naomi, and it's called, you know, N Naomi gone. Naomi gone. Dead. <laughs> rip, rip Naomi. Rip, That's yeah. good. That's good. I'm glad uh, people like my message. I think it, uh, more people who say it, you know, join me. Uh, it can be scary. Like, people will attack you, um, but it's worth it. So you know, you know, you're doing something right when some people are coming at you for something you're saying, because at the end of the day, the world evolves. Nothing stays stands still. So anyone who says this is the way things are and this is the way things are going to be and they're going to be like that forever is kind of confused and probably doesn't hasn't been a student of history to understand that we as people evolve and things around us evolve and, and we have to change that. Yeah, there's a line, James, from a, a Newfound Glory song, for those of you that like pop punk out there, but it's, if you've never made enemies, then you've never stood for anything. You're just dust in the breeze. And I truly believe that. Like, if you really, if everyone loves you, then you maybe have never, like, really stood for anything controversial. And the things that really matter in life, or the most important things in, in life, tend to be somewhat controversial. So it is good to take a stand. And Naomi, that's one of the things, I mean, we've just... We haven't met until today, but I know you from LinkedIn because 
you're not afraid to have hot takes on things. You're not afraid to disagree with people or to have people disagree with you. And I think that that is really awesome because I, I can tell you, I'm not that courageous um, with my with my social media presence. Um, it just it just stresses me out a little bit. But uh, it's wonderful that you ask these provocative questions because it really does help people change perspectives and help things move forward. I appreciate that. Yeah, that helps me feel like I am not alone. Um, and that's all it really is. It's just we're in this together. Uh, I'm happy to take the brunt of that. But, um, you know, as long as we're having constructive and healthy debate, uh, you know, I'll keep doing that for sure. Yeah, but I think that's one of the things is healthy and constructive debate isn't something that people are used to having anymore. It's it's kind of very much um I'm in one school of thought and don't don't interfere with my school of thought because otherwise you're you're almost taking away my my kind of uh, um, ideas and 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 I think part of what's going on in LinkedIn and part of why LinkedIn needs to be more why LinkedIn sh it should be the platform we leverage is because it allows for different voices to be heard. And we're able to have some sort of debate because people are more watchful on LinkedIn than they are in any other social media platform. Like you'll never see anyone come out and just, you know, very few people put like really gaslighting posts on LinkedIn. Um, but but you see you don't see that, you know, in garbage, you know, dumpster fire Twitter or, you know, uh, fake book or, you know, any of the other stuff that's out there. That's because it's, it's tied to their identity and yeah. employers look at that identity um, and it becomes part of their profile when they're looking for jobs. And it, it, it behooves those that are looking for jobs to think about that, right? Um, that when you're posting these provocative comments, whether like you fully behave in it, believe in it or not, right? Is it the right thing to say? Um, can you have this con this conversation in a more constructive way? Like just because we have differences of opinions for like liberal arts degrees doesn't mean that we have to go at it. And um, yeah, I mean, you, you can have these constructive criticisms in a really good way. I, I, I agree. I think that, um, you know, Chris, to, to what you said about people who are looking for opportunities, I mean, it's just your professional presence. And I say to people, you know, who, especially last year with the election, so many things were going on. I asked them if it would, is this something that you would say in front of your leader in your office? If you were in the break room, if you were in the coffee, you know, if you were, if you were in front of a group of people, realize that working, not working, whatever, everyone can see this. Everyone can look back. Um, and you know, being having constructive criticism, having you know, regardless of what you believe in, um, is great. It's just the conversation and the way the discussion, you know, can go down a rabbit hole. And that's what's so strange to me about what Naomi puts out because everything it it's it's so bizarre. Like I still I'm still shaking my head at times as to why people are even why this is even an argument. Like, why, you know, are people, how else will we get people into the field? If this is not the way, and they have some other better way, then share your way. You know, if you don't believe that Naomi, what Naomi is putting out there, you disagree with her, whatever. Okay, great. So then how are we closing this talent gap? How, yeah. are, we, how are we doing this? How are we filling, how, how can we get this done? And so I didn't, you know, there's nobody I know that came out of the womb as a cybersecurity professional with 15 years experience. So it's just like what? fascinating to me that this is actually like a point of arguments. It's bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's also if you become a leader in cybersecurity, whether you are a manager or if you are just a leader, because possible be a leader and not be a manager, it really is up to you to lift other people up. Um, so when people say, well, that's just not the way my org works, I just want to say, well, try harder. Because I've worked in organizations where they've said, you can't hire this intern, or we don't have the money for this. And you don't give up, you keep working at it until you're able to, you know, you build the reputation, you're able to create those opportunities for people. And one of the things I'm honestly most proud about, I mean, I'm probably never going to 
present at Black Hat or never find like an O'Day that is widely reported on. But there's a number of people that I've given them their first job in, uh, in, in cybersecurity. And that's what I'm going to remember when I'm 90 years old, that I was able to help other people create these great careers so that they could make contributions. And if you're a leader or a manager, you have that opportunity too. So it's always so weird to me when people gatekeep or make excuses for why they can't. It's like, it's literally the best part about the position that you're in. Why aren't you taking full advantage of it? Yeah, it feels great. On the other side. Go ahead, Naomi. On the other side of that, where people are arguing, like it's your individual responsibility to lift yourself up and pick yourself up by the bootstrap and do do all the hard work and grind and everything else. Like, yeah, there's an element of that and, and that builds character. I'm not arguing that. But at some point, the you need a hand up. Like people will break. I think I told this group about a story about a man who killed his entire family just earlier this year. Remember I texted you, you folks over on the, the LinkedIn. I was like, yeah, uh, some guy just killed his whole family. He had, all, he actually lost his job and decided to take it out on his whole family. Like that's where he was in life. Right. And, and, and at that moment, I just feel so helpless. Right. Cause he, he murdered his family and their three little kids, his wife and himself. And, and why? Because he lost his job and you, you can recover from that. That's a temporary situation that you're in. But at that moment, he felt like there was nothing that he could do other than escape by killing himself. So this goes to the idea of what you and Brian just spoke about, kind of the idea of leadership and lifting other people up, is we live in a generation of instant gratification. And if we go back just a minute ago to the what people post and how people react to some of the things we put on LinkedIn, if people just for a second stopped... And instead of being instantly on the keyboard, just took a second to really think about what they want to say and articulate an argument that didn't have anything that would trigger, but rather make some common sense in a discussion to add value points or offer a different perspective. It'd be far more, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be far better for the community as a whole. Our challenge in security today is twofold. One, we have people who are looking for instant gratification, meaning I took my security plus, where's my $100,000 job? I want to run a red team. I want to be a blue teamer. I am the ultimate analyst. You know me. I know how to use every sim in the marketplace. I'm your guy. And then they come into the real world and you come into an incident. And for those who are thinking of breaking into cyber, an average incident from moment of happening to moment of full recovery is 284 days. That's 284 days from a moment you go through a cyber attack to the moment you're at 100% full recovery to where you were prior to the incident and attack you've experienced. So when we get these people who come with instant gratification, who don't think twice, who don't have the fortitude or the stamina to withstand the long and gruesome process that is recovery, that is the pitfalls, that we're going to fail more times than we succeed. But when we succeed, we know we did it. It's, it's what Brian just said. When I'm 90 years old and I'm sitting on my swinging porch, you know, uh, on the little chair on my porch and I'm looking at the world pass me by with driverless cars and drones, you know, like I order Uber Eats and it's not even a driver anymore. It's a drone that's bringing me my food and dropping it like right on my lap. That's what we're going to talk about next week. So so that's the world we're going to live in. But you're going to wonder, what did I do to bring the world to this point? And, and instant gratification isn't one of it. And I think that's the downfall of some of the cultural stuff that we see happen today. I, I think another part of this is that as humans, change is hard. Changing culture is even harder. Like, think of what you have to go through to change a habit in yourself, right? It could take you... One month, it could take you six months to develop the habit. Now, imagine multiplying that across an organization where you have anywhere from 10 to 1,000 to 50,000 people that you now need to change a process. It's not going to happen overnight. And that's where the, the, the resilience, the, the continuous development, the, the always striving for change comes in. And if you're looking for a job and you are not the traditional person, you have to have that mindset as well. You have to be able to show the value that you can bring and not expect everything to, to fall in your lap. Also, that thing that you think you want 
might not actually be the best thing for you. Like, like uh, James, like you said, like, hey, I got my sec plus. Can I lead a red team now? It's like, you don't want to lead a red team. You want to work for someone that has led a red team. So when it's finally your turn, you're going to be able to manage that team really well. And you're going to be able to help and coach the people that work for you. So I think it's also just having not not just realistic expectations, but it's also just kind of understanding the progression and that when you pay your dues at a certain level, it makes you better at the next level. Like I'm a better CISO because I've been a practitioner. And can you can we swear on this show? Is that okay? Absolutely. I mean, I mean, you have to like eat shit sometimes to learn from your mistakes. So when you do become a leader, you're you're better at it and you understand what people on your team are going through. If you just jump right into that position, um, you're not going to be ready. You're not going to have the respect that you need. You're not going to have the experience and the scar tissue that you need to really succeed in those more senior roles. But so I have a question for you all. Mm. I, you know, the folks that reach out to me, they 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 know that they want entry something entry, right? They're not from from my experience. They're not saying, "I want to jump in." You know, well, there's 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 a couple different things. On the one hand, I think that they have been sold this idea through you know educational services, all this various stuff, you know, the media, all of that. That there are these hundred thousand dollar, you know, six figure immediate roles, like get this degree, get this security plus. So, you know, I'm selling you this thing and this is what you get on the other side of it. So that's on the one hand. So as much as I give the, you know, recipient and the the person who is looking for an opportunity flack, um, I also really look to the people that perpetuate this because where did this come from? Right. There's no other place where, you know, when you look at other professions where they're like flashing, oh, you could get these degrees, you could get this, you know, you could get these jobs, you could get this stuff, and it's immediate in six months, and take this twenty thousand dollar boot camp, and in six months you're a cybersecurity pro, and then you can go in there and you can do A, B, C, D, and E, and they're gonna pay you all this money. Um, and I think it, I think there is like that they're getting it from this side, and then so that's one one um, point. And then the ones that do realize, because I've spoken to a few people that have taken some of these boot camps and they realize, wow, I don't I don't know anything like I I don't feel like I've learned what this 20 grand was supposed to provide me with. Um, and they're they're actually nervous and they want opportunity and they want something new, but they don't then they don't have that opportunity. So where the Naomi comes in with all the, the internships and what we're trying to do. So I'm curious as to how many you see that are you know really saying they want to jump in at that high end and they want to run the show and all of that because i don't i don't see that as much so i i've seen quite a few of it where people who've reached out to me through discord or slack that want to be mentored go you know i was promised all these things um when i signed up for this boot camp or when i went to this cert or when i took this class and it's it's by Chris, and it's something where there's a disconnect because the education industry also is selling, and they're trying to sell you to pay them X amount of dollars, like a university does, and selling you a liberal arts degree is going to get you a job outside of Starbucks, <laughs> right? That's just not going to happen. Twenty three minutes in today, that's awesome, <laughs> right? So. And so I've, I've seen a bunch of these people and I've had to have that heart to heart conversation with them and really tell them, listen, it's kind of like when someone tells you you're buying a Chrysler 300 and the sales guy on the lot is telling you, listen, kind of looks like a Bentley, kind of looks like a Rolls Royce. You're like, but it's a Chrysler 300. Yeah, but from afar, people aren't going to notice it. So you buy it, you pull up and people are like, hey, nice Chrysler 300. You're like, no, no, it's supposed to be a Bentley supposed to be a rolls that's not what the sales guy told me it's that it's that same sales remorse that that exists um within our industry today and because our industry is growing so fast and because there's not a standard um there hasn't been a standard for that and since there hasn't been a standard we have all these different pieces of information out there and depending on what what you search and where you go you may or may not find it I would also ask the panel and Renee and Naomi, maybe you got have a perspective on this. 
when you hire people, when, when you look at their resume, does boot camps or certs move the needle for you? Because it really doesn't for me. No, it doesn't. Cause I don't know the differences between any of them. Like if someone said like, what boot camp should I take? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like, and they're like, what's this one compared to that one? I'm like, I have no idea. Uh, so yeah, even asking me like what college, literally like I would do that thing where I'd be like, oh, you, this went, this person went to an Ivy league school versus another school. That's maybe like a public school or whatever. Like, I don't really know the difference. I know one, you paid a lot more and maybe you got a better education. I don't know, maybe a better experience. I don't know. Like, and, and that to me is a little elitist. So what I do actually, I scrub kind of like information like that. So I'll take the name off of the resume. You know, I'll take things off like the zip code and stuff like that. And then I'll just look at the merits of the resume. I don't actually need kind of like that information. Like you went to college, great. You learned this stuff, great. You know, I don't really need all of that fluff information that will make me biased into making a decision for one person versus the other. For me, it's obviously always what the leader is looking for. So in, I have not had, well, in the private sector space, which is where I play most of the time, no one's ever asked me about where a person went to school, degrees, or any of that stuff. It's 99.9% .9 of the time experience. Um, it's not, you know, I don't really focus on the, the junior people that much, um, but it's really about experience. When it is junior, it's like, did they do some kind of project, some kind of internship? Hence, the, the advice that I give people all the time is your self-directed projects are really, really, really important to put on your resume because that's where I hear with the, the few times that I do connect with leaders around entry-level related stuff is focused on the project. Um, and it's focused on, you know, maybe every once in a while. And when I say once in a while, I mean like out of thousands of interviews and, you know, working with dozens of hiring managers, it's probably one or two that have asked for like a specific school. Like, okay, we want people out of this program because we partnered with this program before, like James does down in Atlanta in Georgia. You know, we partner with this program. We, we know the students that have come, we've had successes with this program, you know, so they look for that. But overall, it's experience on the private sector side, on the public, the, the couple of times that, you know, the, the times when I've worked with um, government contracting, they do want a cert and they'll usually say a cert, not CISSP, not, you know, Security Plus is usually the one that can get people in the door. So, you know, when someone comes to me with that kind of and they ask me about that advice, this is what I tell them I see in the market. Like, this is what comes to me when I'm recruiting for people in the marketplace. But it's almost nine, almost every single time it's about the experience. It's about what you have done to, to your point, Brian, the curiosity, everything that we talk about every single week on this show, it's about the doing, not necessarily, you know, the degree program or the boot camp or whatever it is that the person has done. Tons of comments here. So let me um let me bring some comments up. Some people were making some comments earlier. Um, Norma said, um, it's all about how different people deal with change. We love to see you all together doing CISO Thursdays. We just like what you do, Naomi. Um, another someone else said, great job, Naomi. Naomi is like the pal of LinkedIn right oh, now. Lord, She's stop. Firecracker. <laughs> LinkedIn firecracker. Mm. Uh, Elizabeth says, well, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Well, thinking about that from a military background, changing instant gratification comes from the top down. When James was making that comment, um, the security industry shouldn't promote six-figure salary jobs and shortages in workforce, but also make it nearly impossible to break into an entry-level jo job in cybersecurity, in IT period. I agree. What's interesting, Renee, is when I do talk to people who are trying to break in, I can tell right away who's in it for the money. I don't know about you, you gentlemen, mm -hmm. uh, when you hire, but I can tell. Like, it's the weirdest thing. Like, you can tell when someone has passion for learning all the things cyber versus like, hey, how do I get a job, right? Like, they only live with the, like, is this combination of certifications good enough or, or something? And so... I, I don't know. It's just some something in me. I'm like, ah, okay. I'd rather spend my time helping someone who's really passionate and could really benefit, and our and our industry can benefit from having them versus someone who's really just in it for the money. And uh, yeah. I kind of get an I, idea. I, I treat that different based on based on age. And I know this is going to sound really bad, but mm -hmm. I look at life situation when I get these questions. So if someone is just finishing college and is asking me, "How do I make six figures tomorrow?" 
I'm, I don't see passion with this person. But if someone says, hi, I'm doing a career transition at 40, right? And for the last 20 years, I was in, you know, whatever, marketing, PR, operations, logistics, whatever it is. And I want to go into cyber. And what are what is the combination of certs I need in order to earn X amount of money to support my family? When it's in that context, I see the passion. I also see their trajectory because they're looking at cyber as not only a th- way to make money, they're also trying to provide for their family and a thing that has a little bit more value. So yeah. I, I base that on situation, but that's just me. That totally makes sense. Okay, more comments. El- Eliziah, I guess I was preaching. Preaching. <laughs> I get so irritated by these boot camps. Boot camp advertising is very misleading. These $25,000 boot camps, it's just like. Can we have a boot camp person come up and talk about it? Like, uh, why do they think that? Good luck. <laughs> yeah, right. That's no, like I'm the Twitter you, that you we're know when they call me publicly. I want you know, them to come on and talk about why it's. They call me and they say, Do you have positions for my people? And I'm like, You should have positions, but you're getting 20000 Like, yeah. You're getting $20,000 for people. Yeah. You should have positions for these people. I want them to come on and just like uh, give us evidence it. and justify the fact that they cost that much. Like here are a list of tools that you can learn online for free and all the courses and information yeah, you can have for free. So tell me why this costs 14 grand, right? Right. Good luck with that one, Naomi. So <laughs> says, yeah, there's ex- excuse me, an extreme disconnect from those services that promote instant gratification and actually industry requirements. Um, Scott was making some good points. It's up to you, the learner, to learn. The responsibility is on the learner. You pay the 20000 for the piece of paper. The rest is up to you. So maybe Scott um, knows some stuff about this space. Luis says, at the 22-minute and 50-second mark, is that it took James J. Azar 22 minutes and 50 seconds to bring up the liberal arts degree. I really want to start earlier in our chat. Yeah, I want to start up the gambling process of this, right? Like, let's do a little betting, like over under in today's episode. We should totally, we should bet, and we should have it go to Wounded Warrior. Ah. Yes, we should. Whoever wins gets a a, a Paisley shirt day from James. Is it like Price is Right kind of thing, or is like one minute? Yeah, but I can't know when it is, right? So because I can't be biased, so someone else is going to have to run the, the books here. Because otherwise, I may I may just never bring it up and then take all the cash to the house, right? Oh my god! Meanwhile, Brian's like, I have a liberal arts degree. There's nothing wrong with liberal arts degrees. I'm cool with it. Uh, James just thinks we love liberal arts. I like because it's the sake of learning. It's like part of the beauty learning of being human. Learn. It's just like learn, right? But it's uh, you're not fun. just trying to get a job. You want to learn for the beauty of it. It's also like the idea that I didn't know what I wanted to do when I was 18, 19, 20 years old. I'll, I'll give myself a pass for that. You know, like I was young. I just wanted to be done with school and graduate and, and wanted to do something. And, and I thought because I didn't have a computer science degree, it meant that I couldn't do a technical job. And then when I was just about to graduate, I realized like I'm doing a technical job now. Like I'm literally working in a place where people walk in or call on the phone and they can literally ask me any technical question. And my job is to on the fly, fix it for them, right? That is a technical job. It's not the most technical job, but right then I decided like, I don't have to be writing copy for a PR firm. I can actually do technical things. I can be trained and learn new technical things. There you go. And, and from that point on, even when you had people say, well, you're not technical enough, you just put in the work and, and blow right past that. You know, And I know that it can sound easy you know, just saying it. And I know I've had opportunities and I've been been really lucky and not everyone is as, as lucky as me, but I think overall, I, I do think that, that that guidance applies. Cool. Marcello says, hi from Atlanta, Georgia. Um, Elizabeth says, for government, my experience is it's cert over any experience to meet those hard requirements versus private. I've had to show actual projects and really promote my experience. Um, I haven't seen any Elizabeth, but again, my, you know, government sector stuff is very limited. That's why we have a show called Federal Career Connections that we were on last night, Wednesday nights, the last Wednesdays of the month, we have someone and they come on and talk about federal government stuff. Um, But yes, I've seen that, you know, government space, a certification, like if you don't have it, you can have all the experience in the world and then they will say, well, we're just Yeah. That's a great, 
that's been my experience too. Like they, they will write the, the job requirements into the contract with these contracting firms. Yep. And all you need to do is be able to check those boxes. That's the requirement. So if you've got someone that barely has a pulse, but they check all the boxes, get that butt in the seat. And yep. it's like, are they good? Are they not good? Doesn't matter. They meet the requirements. So when I was working in the government, you kind of saw a mixed bag of people that were really killing it. They really had a great background and a desire to learn. And the people that were there because, hey, it's it's uh, it's stable work and I meet the requirements. It's a job. It's a yeah, job. job that I go to and I get paid holidays and healthcare yeah. and all the good stuff. And that's why you see such a disconnect sometimes between different agencies and the government. So when people always ask, like, why is this agency never breached or never going through massive incidents? And these are. You could typically look at the contracting body who's running their IT and go, ah, no, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Johnny Ayala says, quick question: Who has the most entry level? Who has entry level the most? Private sector or public sector? Private. Private, yeah. Like, if you're an entry level, stop looking at big companies and go to MSSPs and MSPs. Like, those people can't get enough butts in the seats. It's a great, great way for you to get some experience. You also get to meet, work on different customers, get a little bit of experience in more different uh, environments, and then you're able to, you know, grow from there. You know, a year or two down the road, you can, you know, go to a big company and, and, and get the role you're looking for. I also am a big fan of advocating for especially students. Go and talk to your IT department and go ask what you can do. They usually have opportunities for students. They almost never have um, enough people to do the work. And if you show the desire to help and you show a little bit of skill, um, you know, they'll find a place for you. Um, I know, I know that we did, I mean, look, I've hired some people with crazy backgrounds because they could, they could do a thing. I mean, I, I hired a 18 year old college dropout, had to move across the country to intern for me because he had a, he had a skill set. It was a paid internship, but he came in and he rocked it. And now he's got a full-time job. I, I hope he does go back to college and get a degree, but he, he got a full-time job as a result of that internship and he's killing it now. Nice. So. Yeah. I love nice. stories. stories like that. I love stories like that. Keon said, that's me. I don't remember when we were, what we were talking about when he said, that's me. Um, so Gabriel says here, I agree with Naomi. I was discussing with someone recently and asked, why didn't you counter the offer? Um, and, and the person was like, it's a foot in the door for me and whatever it offers. I just want to learn, learn and learn. And later my experience will attract the money. So Gabriel's talking about, you know, getting your foot in the door. Scott says, I came from operations, attended secure set, paid $12,000, worked my ass off and had a job offer the day I graduated for professional services. I took the job and ran with it and I had to put in my time and needed to learn more. Well, Scott, that's the way it's supposed to work. Yeah, you know, you work, you pay, you get the job at the end. Like, that's fantastic. Unfortunately, every situation, you know, the, we don't hear as many of these types of stories. We hear a lot of, I put my money up, I did the work, and at the end of it, I don't have anything to show for it. Unfortunately, yeah, um, they're not any less hardworking or less smart than you. Right. So you you were in a great place. Someone took a chance on you. I hope you recognize that, Scott. So Kay says, do you guys differentiate generic boot camps from something like a SANS boot camp? I think so. Yeah. yeah. I do. I value SANS more than any other. Yeah. 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 I love SANS. SANS is the seven grand. It's, it's awesome. Right. But most people are not, you know, SANS boot camps are typically paid for by an organization yeah. already in because there's 7,000 per class. Mm -hmm. So, you know, most most, you know, people who are looking to break in aren't really doing it through SANS courses. But the instructors, oh, the instructors. are of unbelievable caliber. They are. And really when fun. you look at the cost of a SANS and you look at like one of my favorite SANS instructor and a buddy who I geeked out with this week in person and Luis got a chance to meet him on, on Tuesday was Ross Young, who's the CISO over at Caterpillar Financial. And Ross is a SANS instructor does the CISO Tradecraft podcast. And if you haven't listened to this podcast and you want to become a CISO, it's a great listen because it's an instructional career podcast on how to deal with different disciplines as a CISO. And it's, and it's a 
brilliantly done and it's literally like a mini sans class you know it's 40 minutes but it's like you're sitting in a sans class brilliant awesome so um Elizabeth says working MSSP is a good strategy. My first security role was for an MSS, MSP and you built a lot of experience working for a broad, broad background of customers. I agree. I remember, um, I know Naomi made a post a couple weeks ago about an intern or um, a year up person that you, I, don't, I think it was year up. Yeah, it was year up. And um I also participated in Europe at another at an organization that I used to work in, um, and had real had some um, experience with a person who started an MSP through Europe, and was able to build a ton of experience and then move on. Well, I think Europe hired him. Um, I'm sorry, not Europe. The MSP hired him, um, but he got like tons of experience through an MSP. So agree with both of you. MSP is always stands for managed service provider. provider. And then the, the extra S is for security. So they're, they're <laughs> essentially the same thing, but an MSSP is more security services than an MSP could be generic technology services. Or now the new MSPs that call themselves more managed security providers. <laughs> they don't do services anymore. They just do security. Okay. All right. You know, it's a new trend. You know, I want to be cool. I'm this taking one ass down. <laughs> Career change. Uh, I think this is Keon saying he is doing a career change from education to cybersecurity. I'm seeing a lot of that, and I think it's fantastic. I think we need more educators. How do you train the next group of people? How do you yeah. create I resonating? Think it's fantastic. How do you create resonating training programs beyond you know just simple awareness trainings if you don't have educators on your staff? Yeah, yeah. and and we've been talking a lot about like the technical skills and like the boot camps and everything, but. It really, you really are in the people business. And yep. if you can't write, if you can't present, if you can't communicate, if you actually don't like talking to people, cybersecurity might actually not be the place for you to work. People think like, well, I can just hide behind my computer. And certainly there are some jobs where you can just hide behind a computer, but I just did a, finished a red team engagement and I talked to the red teamer every single day in detail about what he was doing, what he was seeing, what he was finding. And he was not only an incredibly, incredibly good at what he did, but he was a great communicator, right? And he had patience for my dumb questions and he could explain it in a way that I could reproduce things. And so this idea that it's only about the technical skills is, is really not true. It really is about people and communication, being able to handle conflict with people and, uh, and, and look at people's behaviors and not get frustrated, but be optimistic about how you can train people and how people can get better at things. Yeah. Brian, that's so cool. I, I had a, a conversation yesterday with a CTO who's going to be coming on the show. I cannot wait for the leadership series. I mean, this guy, he, he's awesome. So he's the CTO of the Ohio Turnpike. He's going to be coming on talking about um, hiring, hiring CISOs, hiring leaders, hiring security leaders, and just like the future of security. So what James was talking about with, you know, the drones and the, you know, the autonomous vehicles and all that and his experience and his, his, um, his expertise, because he's Ohio Turnpike, the CTO of Ohio Turnpike, he just, you know, came with so much information. I was fascinated and I know you will be too, but most of what we talked about was around the communication skills. We talked about communication so much. And, you know, especially when you when you step into that leadership role, so you get in and then you start to move up, you know, it's purely what Brian just said, you know, it's just communicating. That's what you're doing most of the time. So it's going to be really good. I'm excited. For this. Um, so Louis says, Ross is a super smart guy. I call his podcast, Get Ready School. <laughs> so um, Scott says, uh, I do recognize this is what Naomi made her comment. Um, he said, I recognize that. I also know that I started working at 10 years old, expect no nothing, am humble, and started working on my job search four weeks after starting school. I had classmates that said that they would wait until the end of the course. That's not the way you get in. 
uh, work and take what comes your way, then work your way up. I just helped a guy who went through 155 resume submissions get a job. He reached out and I helped. We have to learn to ask for help and grind through the crap. Yep. You still have to work. I mean, it's not going to be easy, right? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But the, the opportunities out there are so few and far between. I'm on the demand side. Like the supply side is fine. There's plenty of people trying to get in. It's the demand that's actually lower. So uh, we're trying to convince hiring managers and that's what my nonprofit's trying to do is convince hiring managers it's okay to hire someone with no background in tech. I've done it, other people have done it, and it still works because they have got curiosity, intellect, soft skills, human skills. They can they do all these great things already, you just don't know it. And they can learn cybersecurity because again, cybersecurity is not difficult to learn. It's just hard to balance. So what do I do? I have them shadow me. This is what good information security practice looks like. Here's how I got in advice. Here's how I, I train security and, and provide guidance and resources. This is what I do as a professional. And this person now shadows me and watches me do it and learns from it. And it's like, okay, that's, so that's what it looks like. It's not the security person walking into the room and being a jerk and being an asshole and being the smartest person and leading with ego, which we see that way too much. And back to Brian's point, we need people with those soft skills and the human skills because we're terrible at that. Like I was a jerk. I used to be a total big jerk and nobody wanted to work with me. And guess what? We had security problems. So if we have security professionals who are great with people and great with communication and empathy and emotional intelligence. Yeah. <laughs> I always hey, forget what I'm hey, talking hey, about when James does this. We need people skills in, in cybersecurity, uh, and we're missing that so badly, and we need it. So the more the people who can bring come in with just uh, just this level of, like, uh, I, I can't, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. Like, I, I've said this so much. <laughs> no, but, but you bring up an awesome point, Naomi, which is kind of like the idea of hiring people. So on Tuesday, I did a CISA roundtable in person live with other people, which was unbelievably amazing, by the way. I you got mean. to hug people and shake hands. And we sat really close and we ate lunch. It was unbelievable. <laughs> like 2019. It was like 2019, like 2019 all over again. But but I will say this, we, we I, I hosted one of my CISA roundtables and we talked a little bit about how do we open the door. And that was one of my topics is how do we open the door for more people? And even the panel I moderated, I asked the same question to go, how do we open the door for more people to get into cyber? And I highlighted the challenge. So the challenge we have with what Naomi is saying today, and this is where we need to get um, outside of the comfort zone and we need to a little bit adjust our business process is when people apply for a job, don't let HR sort through your CVs. Almost give it to someone in your team to do it and let someone in your team understand someone who you trust in your team that's going to be like, you know what, these people don't have it, but look at their CVs, look at all the projects they're involved with. HR isn't going to understand it. And we, I constantly come on here and I bash HR, but I did a few uh, places where I've actually sat down with HR folks over the last several months from all kinds of different organizations to understand that. And when they're trying to fill 100 recs, they don't have time to go through the 150 CVs we get for an entry-level role. They just don't. So they're going to trust technology to do what it does. And sometimes we don't find those right people or we're not opening the right doors. So take that away from HR, give it to someone on your team, have them find the intangibles and, and then get those people a chance to get through the door. Hey, can I comment on something that Scott said that I think he like hit it out of the park? This idea that he was started his search early. Um, yeah. I mean, look, I don't know how much a boot camp costs, 12 grand, 20 grand, 25 grand, whatever. But you know what's free? Just networking with people. Just talking to people. You know how many people DM me on Twitter and are just like, will you talk to me for 15, 20, 20, 30 minutes and just talk about career? And I say yes, like every time. Don't everyone go and like DM me now, but I'm just saying like, I'm just saying like, there are people out there that will have conversations with complete strangers to help because this is a problem that we're all having. And I think if you're in this industry, you wanna see security get better. How do we make security better? We get more people, we get more hands that can help us do, do these jobs. So if you're not networking and think you can just come out with a piece of paper and some people are just gonna line up to give you a job, that is not true. That's you should be talking to people in advance and it's free to do so. You can even say, hey, I'm gonna graduate in two years, but I wanted to talk to you about a job now, mm, right? Yeah. So I can stay on your radar. And by the way, I do the same thing. I network with people that are just starting out because at some point I might have a role that comes up 
And I want to be ready to slot someone in that space, someone that I already know and kind of trust. So it works both ways. Yeah. And and be cognizant of what you're posting on social media, because this is what I do. I actually create a list of people I want to talk to when I have future roles open up. I make a column for like what the role, what they, what I think they could fit, you know, like sock analyst, right? And then, or something else. And I like write down names that I think I would love to have comment or just a conversation with and I have a link to LinkedIn and everything else. So I just want to remember. So when I see a great comment, I put your name down on my list. I don't have another kind of list. I don't have a list where I'm like, deny, deny, like a deny list. I don't have that. Don't have I only have an allow list. list. You don't I do have not have a deny list. I have an allow denial list. list. No deny list. Allow list. You don't have, so you have a not, you have a nice list, but not a naughty I list. I don't have a naughty list. list. No, I feel that's, it, it it doesn't help me. So you know, just- I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one thing is we took, we used to take Facebook and Twitter really seriously and hiring people. And I don't anymore. It's not even part of what I look at. I look at their LinkedIn from a professional level because I don't really care. Um, everything is so polarizing now to a point where I'm not interested in their polarization or where they stand. Cause I just, I don't care for that. If their LinkedIn is professional and they're able to effectively communicate in LinkedIn, I love it. If not, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. then we probably they're probably not a fit for for my organization. Yeah, and other people are keeping lists too. So yeah. careful what you're posting out there. I mean, I'll I'll offer a counter to what James said, and I don't think what James has suggested is wrong. It's just I I really try and build, and I've been building. I've been at CISO at my current role for 18 months, and I really am trying to build an awesome culture where people love to come to work. Um. And so because of that, I really do want to kind of have a no jerks um, work environment. And and I've identified some some jerks through social media. And I've been like, I don't I don't want that person to come and work on my team. And it sucks because they might be really great at what they do, but I can't have drama and infighting on my team. I can't can't have that because I want to fight about about ideas and I don't want things to get personal. And when I see people bringing that. I just can't get into it. So you have a naughty list, Brian? Uh, no, I mean, I don't really keep a list. I just... I Brian, I'm so glad you brought that up because this is the kind of thing that I tell people all the time. You know, be cognizant because a Brian, and it, it's exactly what you talked about. Leaders want to know that you're out here, you're going to come in and work and that, you know, are you going to be whatever side of the aisle you want, whatever, you know, whatever you believe, any belief, whatever it is, is that going to impact the team? Is that going to impact your work? And so when you see people getting into these LinkedIn arguments, you know, and I saw so many, so much of it last year. And it's just like, as soon as I, even if I present you to a leader, as soon as they look at your LinkedIn profile, you're done. And if people don't seem to get that, it's like, would you be in your office if you were in an office setting? Would you be in an office arguing <laughs> with someone on the team? And if you don't have the emotional intelligence to realize like, hey, the whole world can see what you're doing on LinkedIn, why would somebody want to bring you in on their team to do it's, that? And it's yeah. Funny. Facebook and Twitter, like they're right. LinkedIn. It's influence and persuasion. If you're able to social engineer your way into like getting someone to change their attitude or belief on something, like I want you, I want you person who, who knows what you're doing. Like, this is what I did. Some, some guy was trolling everyone on my comments. Right. So I actually friended him. I was like, Hey, I really like your comments, you know, and that disarmed him so much <laughs> that now he's nice on my comments and like, I'll still talk to him and be like, Hey, I'm just really happy that you're so nice. You know, like whatever. But like, I totally tricked him into doing it. And did I know what I was doing? Yes, I did. I totally social engineered the crap out of him. And he probably doesn't even know. Now he does. <laughs> he knows now. Yeah, he, he knows now. <laughs> Cat's out of the bag. Oh my gosh. Well, um, last final comment here. Eliza says, I'm glad I don't have to delete my silly cat tweets never. that are out there. Never. Hey, Never, never. It's a <laughs> Brian's LinkedIn is glow is going to blow up. Um, we'll see. Elizaya says, "My gosh, 2020 was a year of LinkedIn fights, which would result in some employee being mentioned to a C team, and now it's an HR thing." So, so I, I don't know where people see that. My LinkedIn was my safe space for 2020. Oh my god! I deleted my Twitter. I just like my Ooh. Facebook is barely operational. Like. 
LinkedIn's been my safe space. Am I missing all the like infighting? Enjoy your safe space. Maybe, maybe I've tricked my LinkedIn algorithm to be like, don't show James anything political. Maybe because the fire, I mean, I put, I remember putting up a post and people went completely nuts. And my post was totally neutral. It was just like, this administration did something great, taking down degrees for, you know, all these jobs. People were going nuts so on the post. You know what I, I do think, Renee? It's because we're females that people feel more comfortable with saying we're wrong and they pick apart every single little thing on our post. And I will just put it out there. I think the reason why we attract more negativity is because we're women. I will just say it. Like, it's yeah, very obvious. You guys are like, yeah, that's probably No, no, it's, it's, listen, my wife has some stuff. My wife's had people on LinkedIn write her messages that I'm like, I want to know who this person is and I'm going to go to knock on, like I'm in cyber and I'm in investigations. Like I'm going to find out where your address is. I'm going to show up to your house with a golf club and I'm going to just smack you in the head, take your phone, smash it, and then ban you from the internet for the rest of your life. And Naomi, you've showed me some of the stuff that people have sent you. Yeah. And it is disgusting. And I think people need to be mindful of what they do on social media altogether but I personally, as James, have a separation between someone's identity on Facebook, per se, or Instagram, or wherever, because that's their personal life. And yeah. I don't care what you do in your personal life, boo-boo. Don't just bring it to me, right? <laughs> I care about your professional life. And if you're, right. if, you're, if your personal life gets into your professional life, I can't have you, like Brian said, on my team, because you're going to yeah. be toxic to my culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if on LinkedIn, you're able to put everything aside, and you're able to be professional, and not engage in the what I like to call baiting stuff. That's something different. And Naomi, you're right. And I think the next time someone does that to you, you should put them on blast on all of my things. I think that's all it's gonna take to get that behavior to stop. I'll tell you, I'll tell I'll give you an example of why. In Israel, and I know we're almost out of time, but this is really important because it goes to the idea of women. I have a 16-year-old daughter, and there's like when 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 like I see stuff on her phone. I freaking want to go kill people. Like, you know, like people are just disgusting sometimes, but here's the deal in Israel. The law states that you cannot expose um, rape victims or sexual assault victims online. You can't put their names or their faces, Hmm. but then the courts would allow the perpetrators to also maintain the same anonymity. Hmm. So we fought that. And now we actually have, there's a channel in Israel for every single sexual predator who's ever been accused of a sex crime against a minor. And we put their face and name on blast. And you know what that's done over the last 18 months? It's reduced sex crimes by 47% because people now have the identity to look at. They understand that their face is going to be on Facebook, LinkedIn, every single newscast. It's going to get shared. It's going to get 300, 400,000 shares. Hmm. And that person's going to be out of society. Just from being accused or convicted. Well, being accused is the idea of like, I'll give you an example of something that I read this morning. So this guy took a minor who's 12 years old and he's 26. And he brought in multiple minors and they gang raped this young girl who's 10 years old. Oh my God. Okay. And so this person who's 26, um, the uh, prosecution was about to give him a two-year sentence and a $200 fine, essentially. And if it wasn't for putting his face out on blast and getting the prosecution all those calls, this guy would have ended up just serving two years for something that he should be in jail for for 25. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Because he took away the innocence of a 10-year-old woman. Was that in America? Oh, my God. That was in Israel. Oh, Jesus. I thought it was really better than that. But but no, every country has that. We do the same thing here in Georgia, where if we have someone in our neighborhood that is a sexual, uh, that's been convicted of sexual assault, their picture is on Nextdoor. And it's on our HOA group. And it's everywhere because none of us want to be the next person, right? So I, I think the next time someone does that to you, we should put them on blast. Uh, there's doxing. There's legal problems. There's going to be more problems for me. There's I don't no know. I'm not problem. ready. All you need to do is take a screenshot and put it out there and be like, thoughts. Definitely. <laughs> right. Say nothing else. <laughs> Without the name. But they'll know. They'll know. Yeah, that's they'll true. know. All right. And that, and that puts them really on stop because it has to stop this sexism that goes on on LinkedIn. The stuff that you've showed me 
over times where it's it's just it's it's really frustrating. It's it's annoying, and and it ne- like it just needs to stop. There's one aspect of all of this where we got to go. Like enough's enough. Like get over it. Yeah. And with that, D. <laughs> James Azar has spoken. We're gonna wrap. Let's talk about uh, how women are treated in tech. How about next week? <laughs> we'll do that next week. <laughs> yes, we can. I've been treated great. <laughs> let's talk about that. So, yeah, let's talk about that next week. Well, everyone that's been here, we are over time. We are at 59 minutes, and I know it's 2.07 p.m. Eastern. So, Brian... Thank you so much for joining us and being a part of this discussion. We really, really appreciated your comments and everything else. Please come back and hang out with us again. Thanks for having me. Everybody else, we will see you all next week on another CISO Thursdays. And you all will get, I'm going to put out um, the information for the leadership series where we have the CTO of the Ohio Turnpike. It's going to be awesome. Hashtag free Hong Kong. Free Hong Kong. Next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Adios, everybody. Bye. Bye, Brian. In the rapidly evolving world of cybersecurity, your business needs a guide that's as dynamic as the threats you face. CPF Coaching LLC delivers unparalleled expertise to elevate your cybersecurity startup or business with a decade and a half of specialized experience. We're not just advisors, we're your strategic partners in growth and risk mitigation. Our tailored advisory services range from immediate hourly guidance to comprehensive three or six month packages, all supported with encrypted messaging for real-time assistance. For more information, cpfcoaching.com is your destination. Forge a path to success and distinction in the cybersecurity landscape. Connect with CPF Coaching LLC today and secure your business's future.